Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July 25th. And our passage for today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Jesus is tempted for 40 days, and he was tempted over and over and over and over again, not by demons, but by Satan himself. And the Scripture makes very clear what all happened during that temptation period. Not as far as the minute details, but as far as how Jesus was tempted. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, by Diabolos, by the accuser, the one who is the caster of spears. And the fiery darts went at the Savior one right after another. So much so that after this ordeal, Luke records that the angels of God came and ministered to him. And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And when he was tempted, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, the word if is what is called a first-class condition. That is, these words are couched in the indicative mode. The way we would translate that in common-day language is not if, whether the person who was asking questioned whether this person was who he said he was, but he was saying, since you are the Son of God. We know that you're the Son of God. It's a rhetorical question. Of course you're the Son of God. But if you are, why don't you command these stones to be bread? But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now this was the second temptation. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, here again, Since you are the Son of God, he knew who he was. The demons of hell knew who he was. Remember up in the Galilee, just by way of reminding you, before the legion of demons were cast into the swine, the pigs, and then they drowned themselves. Remember, they said, Jesus, Son of God, what are you doing here? They knew who he was. Over and over again, they were saying, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why are we having to confront you? We thought our master had already taken care of you. Then it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down as it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. How he was reeking this passage out of context, a reminder to us all. Any text outside of context will eventually become a proof text that we or the enemy will use to get us off course. Jesus said unto him, It's written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the third time this temptation, Diabolos took him up to the exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said unto them, All these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. And I want to call your attention to a couple of passages that will help us to give a better sense of this entire episode in the life of Jesus. You see, many times I hear people say, Jesus was tempted with every temptation that I'm tempted with. Well, that's true and not true. Because you see, every temptation that man will ever face in the individual temptations, that's not what it says when it says that he was tempted like we are yet without sin. That passage shows up in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. It's a tremendous passage, and it's often misquoted because of ignorance, not because people are deliberately trying to misquote it. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, the scripture says, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot have sympathy with our weaknesses, but was in all tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, notice that if you're reading the text, when you look at verse 15, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses. He can sympathize with us. He was in all ways, all points, most of our Bibles say, tempted as we, as we are, yet without sin. That is, He was tempted in every category of sin that we will be tempted. And so this is why it's very important for us to understand this. When Jesus, when it says then in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin, what that's saying is that he was tempted in every category of sin that we are, and there are only three that are mentioned in the Bible. That's right, only three. And all sin fits into one of three categories. In the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, here is what John said, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not of the Father, but is of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, that is the desires of it, but he that does the will of God will abide forever. There are three categories of sin given here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. And these were the same categories of sin that Jesus was tempted with. The lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is an inordinate desire to do something, to do something that God has not ordained that we do, or to do something in a way that God has not ordained that we do it. What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes is the desire, the overwhelming desire to have something that God did not design for us to have or did not design for us to have it in the way that we obtain it. What is the pride of life? That is the desire to be something that God did not design us to be or to become something that God did design us to be in an inordinate and ungodly fashion. 
You see, it covers all areas of sin, of doing, of having, of being. One has to do with the appetites of the flesh, and that's not just lust as men after women, women after men. That is every appetite of the flesh, a gluttony, drunkenness. You could go down the line. Any desire that overwhelms you, that controls you, that you live for, that you live to do instead of, in the case of eating, you live to eat instead of eating to live. That is giving in to a fleshly desire. This is very important because Jesus did not go through every temptation individually that I go through. That's not what the scripture teaches. He was tempted in every category of sin that that I am to a degree that I will never know. Because of his purity, his holiness, he was confronted with things you and I will never, ever be confronted with. Our sinful nature, most of what we're tempted with, we are tempted with our own lust, with our own desires. That's what James, the Lord's half-brother, said in the book of James. When we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust. The lust to do something. The lust to have something. The lust to be somebody. But Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. And he was tempted to fulfill his fleshly, his natural desires even, for hunger to fulfill that in a way that God had not ordained that he fulfill that. I mean, you don't go around turning stones to bread. That's not the way that God had designed it. And so so this was something that was to fulfill a fleshly need in Jesus' life, and he rebuked that. Uh, because it was in an inordinate way that God had not laid out. What, what is the lust of the eyes? That's the desire to have something. You could call it materialism. You could call it whatever, but it's never enough. You see, the lust of the eyes is like the grave. It's never enough. It's like the lust of the flesh. It's never enough. How much is enough? How much money do we have to have? How many things do we have to have? Because, you see, it's never enough. That's the lust of the eyes. And then the desire to be something. Trample anyone to get that place where somebody will think that you're something or you will think you're something or that you've arrived and that you have these credentials, those credentials. You have this position. You have that position. You have these uh, credentials, those credentials. And now are you set? No, it's never enough because you're always wanting more acclaim, more fame. It is the way of the flesh. It's the way of the world. And Jesus was tempted in every area like this that we will ever go through yet without sin. Now, how did he overcome all of this? He overcame it through saturation of the Word of God within context. You see, it's not just enough to memorize Scripture. Scripture memory will fail you. Scripture saturation will never fail you. You see, when the Word of God is a part of who we are, it is who we are, and it's not just a matter of knowledge, of knowing. It is a matter of obedience, of living it out, because that's God's design for us. We are to live by the Word of God. We are to live with the Word of God. We are to live for the Word of God. We are to live in God's Word. It should be a part of who we are. It's not something we do on Sunday. It's not something we pick up and just do once a day. It is who we are. It is how we build our life. It is the foundation of our life. It's it's how we make decisions. It's how we do commerce. It's how we do business. It is the culture of our life. It's the environment of our life. In the Word of God, we move, we live, we have our being. 
You see, this is being like Jesus. Jesus had all kinds of opportunities to do other things, but everything he did was based upon what God's will for his life is. You see, somehow we've gotten the idea that we have control of our lives and that we can do anything we want to with our lives because it's our lives. No, 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 no. Once we have given our heart and life to Jesus Christ, he owns us lock, stock, and barrel. We don't have the freedom to do with our lives what we want to do. Why? Because we are his bond slaves. We serve him willingly. Not by force. I don't go to church because I have to go to church. I don't read the Bible because I have to read the Word of God. I don't do righteous things because I have to do them in order to be saved. I do them because God has so blessed me and forgiven me and brought me into his family. He's changing my nature day by day. The spirit of God lives within me. I don't want to live like I once lived. Why? Because I've been set free from that bondage. You see, a lot of people think that commitment brings bondage. Commitment doesn't bring bondage. Commitment brings freedom. You see, I'm committed now to my wife. When I committed my life to her, I, I, I don't have to look around. I don't have to date anymore. I'm totally free to be committed to her. I don't have to worry about that scene anymore. Thank God. No, when you commit to something, you're, you're free. I'm committed to a church right now. I'm not looking around. I wasn't looking when I found this one, when God found me and they found me and when we got together. No, this is the will of God. This is how it's done. You just walk in the will of God and God makes it happen. I have great freedom in the church where I now serve simply because I'm committed to them. If a church came along and said, you know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> no matter what the opportunity for another church, I'm not interested in another church. No matter how large, no matter how prestigious it is, look, I'm committed. I'm committed until they and God say that's enough. When they've had enough, that's it. And you see, the same people that are in leadership that we believe God called me here and God used these men to bring me here. If they were to say, now we believe, and they unanimously believed that it was time for me to leave, then I would listen to them again. You know why? I listened to them when I came. Oh, yes, I listened to God. Yes, I did. But you see, this is crazy. We get the idea, Pastor, if you're listening to me, a pulpit committee called you there. You didn't just walk in to that church. A pulpit committee, a search committee called you. They prayed with you. You all felt like that's what God wanted you to do. Now you're there, and if that, those same people came to you and said, now it's time to go, and you were to say, no, no, God put me here. Well, how did God put you there? He put you there through these people. Now, it may be time for you to lead through those same people. You say, well, I don't believe that's the way God works. Well, that's the way he worked to bring you there. You see, you can't have it both ways. And so all I'm saying to you is, Let's get real with this concept of being saturated with Scripture and walk with God, and we will not be so susceptible to the enemy getting us off track. I mean, Jesus set his face like a flint to obey God, and nothing could deter him from that. You know why? Because he was devouring the words of God, Torah, Every day, to knock 
every day. He knew the prophets and the writings like the back of his hand. And he knew them in context. He didn't just quote a verse here and there. You see, the Word of God's not some spiritual amulet that we wave a Bible verse in front of Satan and he flees. He knows more Bible than you do, sir. He knows more Bible than you do, ma'am. We've got to know the story of God and learn the Bible in its context, and then we will be walking on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.